0: Hi! Hi. You're listening to Smart Casual, a fashion podcast by two women who have a lot of feelings about clothes. I'm Emma Doe. And I'm Amy
1: Mai. Amy and I, we've known each other from the internet since we were teenagers. Um, We both had a blog. Back in the day, back in the early 2000s. Back when blogging was just like a small amount of people in the world and you just felt like it was your own little club to go to after after school.
0: Yeah, yeah it was like the wild west. No one had really done anything with it yet, but hashtag SpawnCon these days.
1: Well, I remember getting free clothes and stuff every once in a while. Oh my god, did you? Like I, um, one time, I think a PR from Telstra was like, hey, would you like to test out the iPhone 3? Oh my god. And potentially write a review? And I think I had a really big dilemma and I was like, "I can't, I can't be sponsored by, I'm like 16, I can't be sponsored by a company <laughs> okay. and just talk about it and not tell people that I've been sponsored by a company. That's unethical. Um, So what I did in the end was I said, yes, I took the iPhone for a month and then I posted about my ethical dilemma afterwards (laughs) and said, surely I'm not giving away free advertising if I just question the very concept. Yeah, so Amy, I, you have been sewing for a really long time, and I remember your blog, which was a place where you would put uh, pictures of clothes that you sewed and sell some dresses. Did yeah. super well.
0: Yeah, they they had a good run. Um, no longer, no longer really
1: sewing and selling these days. Well, I suppose you also have a job in the fashion industry now.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, assistant designing, and um, it's been it's been such an interesting experience. Like I feel like I've been given like the keys to this secret world and I'm like finding out so much about the industry
1: and it's it's a really wild ride. So I love that eight years after we both had fashion blogs you eventually you came through a media degree and then ended up in fashion I went through a media degree I'm now writing freelance about fashion (laughs) and so it's like the right time for us (laughs) to come together. Definitely. Okay, so that's a little bit about us, um, but let's get to our first episode topic. So today we want to talk about sales. Um, It's December in Australia right now, which means there are sales absolutely everywhere. Mm. Even leading up to December, every single store I saw was already discounting everything by half price or more than that. There was like Cyber Monday, Black Friday, Mm. um, and it wasn't just chain stores. It was uh, luxury brands as well. Yeah. If you don't like paying full price for things, now is the time to go shopping. Pre-Christmas sales, pre-Boxing Day sales, bargain, bargain central. Um, But so the reason why we want to talk about sales right now um, is because within the fashion industry, there is a pushback against all this crazy discounting. There are some brands out there that are saying we don't believe in getting customers stuck into a discount cycle where they always expect to have a discount every couple of months or every couple of weeks. Um, And that's a really interesting premise because imagine if you had to buy all of your clothes full price. Like I'm sure there's people out there already who can afford to buy full price and whenever they want, but for the vast majority of people, I'm going to say that's not the case. If more stores were to do that, That would definitely change the way that we all shop and what our wardrobes look like at the end of the day. Um, So later on, we're gonna hear from some brands who've cut out sales altogether. Um, But before we go into that, I was really curious as to what some strangers thought about (laughs) the premise of um, shops never offering sales in the future. So what kind of shopper are you? Are you someone who mostly buys discount or full price?
2: Mostly full price, but if something's on sale, I'll try and go for that.
1: I do keep an eye out for sales,
0: but if I really want it, I'm going to spend the money. I usually stalk an item for a long time before I purchase it, so I'm probably going to try something on about three times before I do make a purchase.
1: Oh, I definitely try for discount, um, and I'm very much get in and get out, and a bargain would be preferred, definitely. Yeah. Would it bother you if your favourite brand didn't offer sales or discounts throughout the year? Not really. I think the stuff I buy, like they're either made locally or the material they use, so I know the cost behind it. And I'd rather the design make some money rather than mass produce and have massive margin, which will allow them to have sale later.
0: Well, I feel like I shouldn't really be driven by discounts. It's more like buying what I really want.
1: Um, the stores are usually like are pretty pricey. Probably wouldn't shop there if they didn't have the sales,
2: definitely. Uniqlo always have sales on, on everything. So if they didn't, I probably couldn't afford some of their stuff.
0: If I loved the brand, the quality, the textiles and the price was right, I would, I would buy it anyway. It's so interesting to hear how other people shop because i in the, I guess, bracket where if I really want something, I'll just buy it. I guess most of the brands and shops that I frequent, they don't usually go on sale or they are quite limited run and do maybe like 20 pieces of the one thing. So if I want it, I
1: have to get in quick. Otherwise, I miss out. I would say I'm also someone who just buys it if I really want to. Or I'm kind of like the kid who says, oh, I love that. I'm going to save up all my pennies (laughs) and put aside $20 or whatever Mm. each week and then like have that great feeling of when I pay for it. I'm like... I worked Here really my hard savings. for it. yeah. yeah. <laughs> for uh, sure. Which is a very innocent kiddish way to do it. Yeah. Um, but now that there's after pay, that's kind of... Um yeah, it's really changed the game, yeah. and I think it's really warping people's spending
0: habits as well. One of my colleagues, she afterpays literally everything that she buys, even if it's like a $50 purchase. And I think it kind of stuffs up how you think of your money because it hasn't gone, it hasn't left you yet, but you've got the item already, and the, your money hasn't even left you either. So it's like you're spending money that
1: you don't have. But I also wonder about the amount of people who default on the afterpay payments. I think if you miss a payment it costs something like $10 on top each time. Oh yeah. Which can really add up. Um, but as that gets bigger and as it rolls out to more and more stores it'll be interesting to see that kind of effect and whether it'll be a little bit harmful and people will be more reckless with mm-hmm. how they use it. Um, So an interesting um, report that came out from the business of fashion the other day was that in the U.S. at least, the luxury market has actually been at a higher discount rate than lower and middle fashion brands. So this report showed that from 11,000 brands and retailers, 46% of all the luxury products in that market were currently on discount compared to 24% of other markets. Um, so that's kind of why you're seeing all those sales from Net a Porter and why do you think like uh, cause Well traditionally it, they don't discount because they want to keep that brand kidsy, image um, brand image really yeah. high. I think I think when
0: they go they do go and discount and do the big discounts it makes so much more of a difference than when the mid-market brands go on sale because just the ratio just seems amazing. But really, you're just normal shopping, I guess. In the in the end, it all balances out. And even if you're paying three hundred dollars for an eight hundred dollar coat, you're still spending the same amount of money as you would if you were doing normal shopping,
1: like for a superior yeah. product or what you would think yeah. is a superior product. Yeah. Like I saw those um, Vetements. Gosh, I actually don't know how to say Vet Vetements. V- 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 <laughs> Okay, I'll get Amy to say that from now on. <laughs> um, those sock boots that have been all over. Oh, those really ugly yeah. sock boots. I think they're okay. <laughs> I think so- you need to be a certain type of person to pull them off. You need to be Rihanna. Yeah. And that's all. On- and only Rihanna. Only Rihanna. So yeah, they were half off on sense the other day, which brought them down to, I believe, eight hundred from sixteen hundred. And in is my a mind, saving. I was like, that's a bargain. That is a bargain. If I was gonna put a month's yeah. rent towards something, maybe yeah. I would do that. <laughs> I wanna talk to you, Amy, about what the Christmas period has been like for you because you work in both fashion design <laughs> and retail. Um and so I want to hear about what customers are doing to you in stores about these sales. <laughs> it's, um, it's a hectic
0: time. I guess working working in the behind the scenes design aspect it's hard to see a product that I've worked on for so long get into store and people love it but they are just waiting for a period of time before until it goes on sale and just you're just like it hasn't changed like the product itself hasn't changed it's just waiting for a price reduction and the market is just is so overcrowded at the moment there are so many brands so many online stores so many so many international stores to compete with you've you've just got to grab a customer's attention in any way that you can and a discount
1: is usually the only way you can do it there's a basic function to a brand having sales um, and i think traditionally it's to get rid of old stock when the new season stock comes in so that's why you have your end of season sales but these days, the cycle is a little bit different because they're trying to just get people to come in mid-season, not have people just wait until the end of season to buy their stuff.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe 10 or 15 years ago, people, they only had end-of-season sales and that was to mark the end of the season and like bring in new season stock and the industry has kind of trained customers to wait at certain times of the year, like your seasonal sales, then your mid-season sales, and then your flash sales. So the Industry really has taught everyone that you can wait. If you don't need it right now, you can get it later at 30% off, so you might as well. I guess um, in the industry, when if you haven't sold your product from the beginning of the season to the end, that's considered a loss in the company. Anything that you've got left over at the end of the season, it's dead stock. And if you can't move it, then it's yeah it's it's just a loss um so clearing it out at any point in the season whether it's with a extra 10% off here or another 20% off there it makes so much of a difference and if you can get people into the store and then hopefully get them to spend on a full price item as well then that's just a bonus.
1: So from a business perspective when you say it's just dead stock after you know the season that it came out is that because it's a burden on, I don't know, like the physical space, warehouse space to keep all this stock in? Or? Oh, yeah,
0: definitely. Having a wear- renting out warehouse space is another cost on the business. And like when you've got new deliveries coming in as well, it's just overcrowding. And yeah, you've just got an excess of stock when you could be making way for new things.
1: Right. So that's yeah. why you have warehouse sales. Yeah. One of the hardest parts when you're shopping and thinking about pricing is figuring out whether you agree that what you want to buy is worth the stated retail price. Like for me, I would just, the simplest way I would do it is pick up an item think about the material, where it was made, um, what the kind of quality is like, and then I would decide whether it's worth paying that much. Talking to a lot of fashion brands, of course, you realize that the end price reflects so many different components and parts of that fashion chain. That final price is reflective of of course, one, the raw material costs, the manufacturing cost, um, the cost it takes for the person to design it, transport, rent, retail staff, wages, margins for having sales, like marketing budgets, just a huge amount of business in there. So when you think about it, a top that goes for $60 retail price in store, it could really cost 5 or $10 to make considering just the raw material and the cost of sewing it. Um, But does that mean that we can just expect to pay that raw cost? Just expect to pay $10 for a t-shirt? Yeah, definitely not,
0: unless unless you're shopping at, like, only shopping at Target or Kmart or something like that.
1: The price of something in-store is... You're not always being ripped off, per se. There are definitely brands where... They are. They are definitely pushing their
0: margins a little bit higher than they should, just being a little bit cheeky. But there definitely are brands where you are definitely getting what you pay for, and um, a lot. Yeah, a lot of factors go into the recommended retail price, and you always have to consider like does this brand only sell like in the store or do they have an online shop or do they only sell online? There are brands now like this US brand called Everlane who only sell from their own website and um, they've, pretty much built their brand on what they call radical transparency and they break down all of their costs in a little graph on their website about the raw materials, the transport costs and then they give you what they call a true cost of their t-shirt which is like, I think their most basic t-shirt costs them $8 to make they've priced it to the customers at $15 and they compare it to a traditional retail price which is three times as much i think it's it's an interesting concept and it's a really cool way to market to your customer but it definitely isn't viable for every brand and it's not applicable for every brand. Also, I guess you're taking into consideration different markets for each brand, like mid-level and low-level and luxury. So I think each industry kind of has their own um, pricing Mm -hmm. factors.
1: Yeah, like I imagine if a luxury goods label or actually any brand that doesn't operate just direct to consumer, any brand that reveals their true cost and all the costs of their components, I feel like their customer would probably feel... Really ripped, ripped off, off, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think Everlane's concept is a really, really clever marketing ploy and such a great way to stand out against a lot of similar brands in that in their market. But you know, if Everlane had stores in every country or if if they didn't operate online, it just wouldn't be possible. No, definitely, they wouldn't. They wouldn't be able to um, pass
0: on their savings to their customers for and sure.
1: I feel like we can't underestimate the importance of actually having a retail store um, to a business.
0: Yeah, retail staff definitely make a huge difference I've walked into stores where I really wasn't planning on buying something but the really nice sales lady um just you know guilt tripped me into buying a top so (laughs) but did you like the top afterwards I definitely I still liked it but maybe if she hadn't been so nice I might not have bought it (laughs)
1: One thing that's changing is increased consumer awareness about overproduction and trying to be an ethical consumer um, and not trying to buy from brands that make so much stock that they can't possibly sell it all and have to discount. And that's a waste on resources that makes the clothes devalue. Um, So I think with this groundswell, there have been certain brands out there that feel like they can maybe abstain from the sales cycle. Um, And I'm not just talking about small independent brands that have small runs or small production runs. And I'm not talking just about startup brands that operate online. Um, One example is Jigsaw, which is a British fashion retailer. I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I'd say they're in the affordable semi-luxury space. So they sell things for like between $150 to $300. They've got 15 stores around Australia, um, including in department stores, so their reach is quite wide. And in 2015, they made this announcement that they wouldn't participate in Black Friday sales, which is kind of a big deal. They said, we don't want to warp people's perceptions of what is valuable. Um, And on their website, they wrote this. So they said, we find ourselves buying things because they're reduced and not because we love them. Or people buy Christmas presents because they're discount, not, not because it's what they want. We're swayed by price when we should be focused on quality and craft. So that was kind of their statement about saying, we value our clothes enough and we think you should also value them the way that we do. We're not just going to give you discounts willy-nilly because the product is worth this.
0: Yeah, it was such a, it's a really interesting um, marketing approach. just reinforces their... Um brand image of quality and um, craftsmanship and putting, uh, putting themselves in a luxury space. And it's interesting, um, I found another little quote from their website about their um, Black Friday um, opt-out They talked about um, giving their products a true value and that when they price their garments, uh, this gives customers confidence that it will remain at the price for the whole season. And I thought their true value concept was really interesting in comparison to brands like Everlane who talk about the true cost. Their true cost rationale was that the cost of an item is the raw material cost and the actual cost that the company pays to produce it. I thought that was a really interesting yeah,
1: difference. Totally. Yeah. I think the way Jigsaw's looking at it, they're kind of saying, "What's the emotional value and investment that you have in this piece piece of clothing?" Compared to Everlane saying, "Really, you're getting great value in price."
2: Mm. Um,
1: and I think that's like a that's a different philosophy with shop- shoppers because I think some people buy things no matter what the price if I love it and if I think I'm going to really wear it, wear it all the time, like, Mm. then it's worth it to me. Like, it makes me feel a certain way. I'll get it. Um, And then there are people who are more pragmatic and say, well, I can't afford to spend this much right now, so I'm just going to get the lowest price that I can. Yeah, definitely. I think there's room in the market for both of those philosophies to exist. For sure. Um,
0: Not everyone can or does think about Clothes in the jigsaw way. For for most people, clothes they're just your everyday clothes, and you you put them on and and that's it. And they're a very functional um, way of looking at clothes. But then there are definitely. There's a section of the market who,
1: who, have, a, yeah,
0: <laughs> who r- have a really emotional um, connection to their clothes and are just like, I'm happy to shell out whatever
1: because I'm in love with it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I feel like um, people who love fashion are kind of ridiculed. But then I compare it to people who love gadgets and love cars and, you know, would pay, would spend as much money as we do on those kinds of things and find value in that as as, as a piece of material.
0: There are geeks for every type of Mm. industry, like people who collect um, really vintage records or like collect, you know, really vintage and rare toys and stuff. our our stuff is just a little bit more wearable
1: (laughs) exactly yeah. yeah and we can display it yeah um so I want to get on to talking about Arnsdorf which is a local independent label here in Melbourne um so Arnsdorf actually um was running from the late 2000s until 2012 I believe um so the designer's name is Jade Sarita Arnott Um, And so she ran her business as a traditional women's wear fashion business, wholesaling to a bunch of different stores. And then she took a break, kind of rethought her business, was just tired of the fashion cycle. And when she came back earlier this year, her philosophy had completely changed. She was believing in slower consumption, designing based more on using environmentally friendly uh, materials, a factory in-house, all those kinds of things. Um, and along with that new philosophy, she decided not to include sales as part of her business
2: model. Part of it was just not feeling comfortable with the current system of fashion, the way that every six months or every three months, things are just marked down and suddenly they're devalued because they're deemed as old stock and they just lose like half their value. And I I just didn't like the way that culture was running. And so we have our own factory, we produce locally, in-house. So we're able to be over the production run completely. So we don't make a large amount of stock at the start of the season that needs to be sold or marked down at the end of the season. We either cut to order, so we cut to when something is ordered. So if there's no demand for it, we don't produce it. Or we do a small production run, which we now have in the store. If we see a demand for a certain style, we'll recut more. And so it it just works in that way. We also sell out of things. So there's kind of the demand to get it. Otherwise, you'll miss out.
0: It's a very unique situation to be able to have your own factory, your own showroom and your own boutique to sell out of. Yeah, because it does cut out the middleman and the only person that you might be... Um, ripping off is maybe yourself if you if you price your products too low, but the Ernstof, um, their pricing is incredibly fair, I think, and it allows everyone within the chain to get a fair deal. Like the the machinist and the PR team, which is like one person, one person yeah. um, the designer, the the production manager. It allows everyone to get paid fairly and and doesn't and also doesn't rip off the customer either they're getting a very very good deal from the whole process but it is a, as i said a very unique situation
1: what do you think for like other businesses who might wholesale and all that mm-hmm. stuff is it possible for them to stop having sales at all
2: i'd like to see a reduction in, in the sale culture and i feel like prices are really overinflated in the market currently you know that that margins are put in because of discounting things are added on so that they can like get back the margin once they almost like build that into their sales that a certain percentage will be marked down so i think if we're more conscious as consumers and as brands about deciding what value a piece has putting that as the price tag to begin with then i think customers will be more comfortable spending
1: why do you think there are so many sales right now
2: guess just to drive sales and it's sort of like if one person does it then other people in the market feel like they need to do it to compete so it just becomes this self-perpetuating system that doesn't really serve anyone because it drives prices up to begin with so it it doesn't even serve the customer. I've toyed with the idea of even if we needed to reduce prices whether we whether we just reduce the price of something rather than marking it down and having this like red markdown like I just want to change the psychology around purchasing you know I think it's ingrained that we see that as consumers we get excited about seeing oh wow that's like half price it's so desirable so I guess I'm trying to be a part of challenging that culture and challenging the way that we consume
1: so when I spoke to Jade, it was really obvious that she'd been thinking about how to run her new business for a long time. And she was definitely thinking hard about the psychology of shopping and how she could change the way that people shop and value their products. Um, but she was also quick to say that she's kind of in un- uncharted territory. And as a small business, it could be risky for her to say, I'll never have sales, mm. um, so she's not ruling out anything just yet. This is just something she's testing for now. And if the market responds, if her customers respond, then she can keep doing so. Um, but she wanted to add that she is indeed having a Boxing <laughs> Day sale just Yay! on samples. Um, if you want to go to that. But our podcast won't be released before that, so don't worry. <laughs> um I think I
0: think um, we'll probably see a lot more of this alternative business model in the future because the sales cycle is just not really sustainable at this rate. If everyone has to be on sale all the time, um, margins are just going to have to go up and then full price items are just going to be kind of ridiculously priced or they'll seem super inflated and um just
1: a factor in the sales yeah cost, just a factor yeah.
0: in the sales cost and it can't
1: last forever before we go we just want to talk about some things that have been <laughs> in our mind for the last week i want to get some things off what's, my chest what's been <laughs> on your mind emma mullets mullets oh gosh mullets have been on my mind for the last year and i just haven't been able to talk to anyone about it (laughs) because people just say so what it's a mullet but seriously the amount of tall white dudes i see around melbourne sporting like a very 80s mullet not Mm. just like a little rat tail they're going they're committing to a mullet yeah and it's and it's a fashion look
0: it's, it's impressive. I really I really did not think it was gonna come back. But when I do see it out, I'm like, you've you've really committed to this. You're
1: you're doing it. You know, it's that terrible kind of like ironic dressing that it falls into. And it like this kind of a mullet is not like if you're overseas listening to this or wherever you are, this is not like a fashion Arizona muse mum haircut mullet. <laughs> this is like dudes doing classic Australian rock mullets. Yeah, um, with the um the Cheesy bonds, facial hair. The Bond's or, chesty
0: yeah. and,
1: like, low-slung pants. Yeah, I, like, I think it's impressive as well because you got to have a lot of confidence to do it, so kudos to them. Mm. But when I see it, I just can't help but think of living in the outer suburbs and just, like, some dude driving across and, like, winding down his window and oh. yelling something racist at me. Ooh. Like, he... That dude had a mullet and like yeah. now whenever I see young people our age, in their twenties rocking this pure Australian eighties look, I feel like they just wanna look like their dad. Yeah. To like so my theory is correct me if I'm wrong if you think otherwise, but my theory is that people are really wanting to celebrate their working class roots. This is kind of like the visual this is the uniform. Of their working the class The working parents. class man. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: the the Iron Williams boot. Even though you might never have stepped foot in the country ever, I think it's definitely it's definitely part of that. And then it's this new um, this new wave of like irony as style as well, which kind of kills me because it's yeah. like being really mediocre and I don't know. Yeah, irony as a style, it just like. It's it's not, kind of
1: confusing. It's
0: really confusing because you're not really sure if that's they're actually really into it or if it's just a joke. I don't know. It's a, a joke in like
1: aesthetic terms. It's an inside joke. For yeah, those people. it's an
0: inside joke, and it's hard to tell if you're being serious or not. <laughs> so, what's been on your mind then? That's uh-huh. my, my <laughs> <laughs> thing. Oh, gosh, what's been on my mind, fashion wise? Menocore. Menocore, My favourite, um, my favourite style at the moment um, is, if you've ever watched Under the Tuscan Sun or Something's Got to Give with my favourite Diane Keaton, it's the look where you're wearing all white, usually linen slacks and maybe, maybe a turtleneck, maybe a white linen shirt, and your. Amy's
1: wearing a white linen. Shirt. I'm wearing
0: a white linen shirt right now, and. You are like you're a fifty year old, very rich white lady walking down the beach at her beach house. That's the meno call cool look. And I think it's great. It's, yeah, it's it's amazing. You you feel it's very comfortable, and you feel like you're on resort all the time. um But it's definitely like a sixty year old on
1: resort.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, retirement age lady. It's it's a look that's definitely pervading all pockets of Melbourne scene at the moment. And it's very much tied to ethical fashion brands as well.
1: Why does it have that eco friendly kind of vibe, fashion vibe? I guess it kind of says like you don't care about looking young
0: or, yeah like, it's uh, it's you don't care about passing trends and looking like necessarily fashionable and
1: you're okay with that did you read that racked article where the writer's theory as to why this look was taking off is because especially with millennials is where it's taking off um is because millennials are in basically an economic crisis, <laughs> so the only way to feel affluent and, oh, is you know, to
0: dress to dress like you are a sixty-year-old retired lady. Yeah, sixty-year-old
1: <laughs> retired white lady so who funny. like doesn't do anything with her days except for you know the occasional arts class mm. or walks along the beach. Like you know, has the time and money for leisure, which is not what we feel at this yeah, age. Definitely
0: not. No. But we can look like it, though. That's That's the power of fashion. That is the power of fashion. (laughs)
1: Bam. Done. (laughs) Bam. Thanks for listening to Smart Casual. I'm Emma Doe. And I'm Amy Mai. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. In the meantime, tell us what you thought about our first episode. Love it? Hate it? Somewhere in between? If you work in fashion and have something to add to the conversation we'd love to hear it and please leave us a comment on our facebook page smart casual podcast or follow us on instagram at smart casual podcast this podcast was recorded in the sin studios at rmit university music by dj baby Bangas and editing by emma doe that's me bye see you next time